our cries for help. You've sent your Son to answer that prayer and to offer us hope and peace and salvation forever. God, we thank you for that good news. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, now that as we look into your word, that good news, the the gospel of Jesus Christ would hit our hearts freshly and it would cause us to cultivate a, a deeper and more appropriate worship of you in our lives. God, we are thankful for you. We ask that you would help us to be even more thankful tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you to uh, everybody who uh, was involved in tonight. It's just been an incredibly encouraging time to hear about the gospel story in scripture and in song, and I trust that it's been helpful for your souls. Well, if you've ever used Spotify or Instagram or Facebook, or if you've ever updated your phone's iOS or you opened a Gmail account, then you have agreed to a very long and a very complex document called the Terms of Service. I can already see it in some of your guilt-ridden faces. We're all going to get coal for Christmas because you checked that box that said, I have read and agree to the terms of service, and we all know you didn't because I didn't either. Well, there's a few companies out there who have sort of taken advantage of our hopeless irresponsibility, and they've run a few experiments that have to do with their terms of service, the, the fine print in their user agreements. In 2017, one company offered free public Wi-Fi to those who would sign up and enter their email, check the box that agreed to their terms of service. They ended up getting 22,000 virtual signatures, which meant that they got 22,000 people to legally bind themselves to 1,000 hours of community service which included, and I quote, cleaning toilets and relieving sewer blockages. A company in London offered a similar deal for free internet, uh, but their terms of service raised the stakes even more. Stated that users agree to assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. As far as I know, uh, none of these companies actually used their power to collect community service or children. Um, But the point is that fine print is powerful. You see, seemingly little caveats here and there can turn out to be some of the most crucial details. And if you miss them, you could be in big, big trouble. And I wonder if we have maybe treated Christmas the same way. Don't get me wrong, I love Christmas. Christmas is great. I don't listen to Christmas music in July, but I still love it. Uh, There's no school, usually. Uh, Home-cooked food, you get presents, you get to see family, and most of all, you get to think about, in a more focused way, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's an incredibly helpful time for us to think about the fact that God 
came down in human flesh in this world to rescue sinners like you and I. That's the best news of all. But Christmas does come with a caveat. Christmas comes with some fine print, and if we're not careful, we might just miss it. You see, it's easy to take the the parts of Christmas and read the parts that we really like to read. The, The parts about joy, the parts about peace and hope and singing. But when God wrote the Christmas story in our Bibles, he meant for us to read every single word. And don't get me wrong, the, the dominant tone, the, the kind of bold font of Christmas really is hope. It really is joy and peace and salvation for you and I. And rightfully so, because Jesus has come to save But that is not all he came to do. Our passage shows us today that there's something else that Jesus came to do. So please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 25 through 35 today. Uh, Luke 2, 25 through 35 can be something like fine print in our Bibles. It comes after the famous nativity scene, after Mary's famous song in chapter 1, but this short and often overlooked story teaches us something absolutely essential for our understanding of Christmas. Luke 2, 25-35 teaches us that Christmas reveals the heart. Christmas reveals the heart. Read with me Luke 2, 25-35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the, heart, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Christmas reveals the heart, and I want to show you from this passage three traits of your own heart that Christmas can reveal. Three traits of your heart that Christmas can reveal, and the first is a heart of faith in God's Word. We see that in verses 25 and 26, a heart of faith in God's Word. Uh, Verses 25 and 26 introduce a man named Simeon. You can think of Simeon as sort of our case study for this section. 
He's mentioned nowhere else in the whole Bible, so getting to know Simeon for, for our purposes is actually pretty easy. Uh, he comes up nowhere else. He's on the scene for a moment and then vanishes. But Luke does provide some very necessary and important details about this man. And really, they're no different than the sort of details we, we ask for when we meet someone for the first time. And one of the first questions that you probably ask when you meet someone is, what do you do? Uh, the, the college version of this is, so what's your major? Uh, we, we've all asked it, we've all been asked it. Essentially, what do you spend your time on? What consumes most of your day? Well, when we meet Simeon for the first and only time, Luke kind of predicts our question and gives us our answer. Look at verse 25 again. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So imagine you are in Jerusalem, and you walk by Simeon, and you meet Simeon. And as you always do when you meet someone for the first time, you walk up to him and you say, hey, Simeon, uh, so what do you do? His answer? I wait. That's it. Simeon, that's all you do? You, you wait? Well, not all I do, obviously, but pretty much, yeah, I wait. And just as you're about to write him off as some very, very strange weirdo, he goes on to explain that he is waiting because he's been given an extraordinary promise from the mouth of God himself. And then you think to yourself, man, you are even more strange than I thought. <laughs> you are more abnormal than I thought, and you would be right. It's true. This is extremely abnormal. Uh, what's happening here is very out of the ordinary because before these events in Luke 2 and the events that surround them, God had been silent for 400 years. For four centuries, no one had heard a word from God. And finally, finally, God reveals himself to a man named Simeon. Look at the end of verse 25 and 26. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. One pastor puts it this way, Simeon is a minor character who receives a major promise. God breaks his silence and gives Simeon the promise of seeing Jesus Christ with his own two eyes. And Luke doesn't explicitly say that Simeon is waiting for Christ. He actually says in verse 25 that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that's because those two things are synonymous. Consolation is a word that means comfort, like, like consoling or comforting your friend after a loss in the family or something like that. And Luke, in using this word, is actually borrowing language from the prophet Isaiah. So keep a finger in Luke 2. And turn over to the book of Isaiah with me. Chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I want to show you what I mean. Isaiah chapter 40. We're just going to read verses 1 and 2 together. Isaiah 40, 1 through 2 says this. Comfort 
Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The consolation or comfort for Israel is the end of all her warfare. It's the the pardoning of her iniquity. It's the, the end of her punishment. It's Christ. You see, Israel's final rest is found in Jesus Christ. And Simeon received a promise from God that that this Christ, the, the one prophesied of centuries and centuries ago in Isaiah, would be face to face with him. God promised Simeon that he would get to see Israel's final rest. That he would get to see Christmas unfold before his very eyes. And what did Simeon do with that promise? He waited. He waited for Christmas. And in his waiting, Simeon's heart of faith in God's word, in God's promises, is on full display. You see, Simeon was extraordinary. He was promised invincibility before he would see Jesus Christ. He was extraordinary, but he wasn't famous. He wasn't making headlines. He wasn't a a world shaker or flashy or, or grandiose. Simeon's heart of faith in God's word made him simply, humbly, and quietly wait on God. That's it. And don't miss his other characterizations either. Uh, Luke includes that he was righteous and devout. He, he lived a morally faithful life. He committed himself to honoring God and all that he did. And what did that look like? Waiting. Righteousness and devotion looked like waiting on God to do what he says he'll do. I think sometimes we, we think that faithfulness is just about doing a lot of spiritual stuff, right? Sometimes we think of faithfulness as leading a ministry team or leading a small group, doing a lot of, of, of spiritual things, preaching and teaching. And those things are great, and I love them. But in any ministry, in all ministry, we must know that nothing will happen unless God acts. Nothing moves unless God moves. And so in all of our ministry, and all the stuff we do, the discipleship, and the teaching, and the praying, and the A-teaming, the administrating, we most fundamentally must wait for God to act. It's not of us. It's all of God. This is a posture of humility that only real faith in God brings, to simply trust God and wait. Faithfulness to God is is trusting what he says, and for Simeon, that was Christmas. Christmas was, for him, an event in the future. It was a promise, and his response to the Christmas promise revealed in his heart faith in God's word. But for us, Christmas is in the rear view. It's in the past. But we, like Simeon, are a waiting people, The church is a waiting people. 
We've been called to be faithful with our lives now while we wait for the second coming of Christ. And so I've got to ask you the question, what if it was you that Luke was writing about? Would one of your defining characteristics be waiting? I mean, would you even want it to be waiting? Maybe you'd prefer doctor, engineer, small group leader. What about a faithful, humble, waiting Christian? That's what a heart of faith looks like. That's how Christmas reveals a heart of faith in God's word. In the next section, we're going to see how Christmas reveals a heart of peace in God's salvation. A heart of peace in God's salvation And that's verses 27 through 32. When we come to verse 27, uh, the camera still has Simeon in focus. Uh, Let's read verse 27 and 28 together. And he, Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. We'll stop right there. Verse 27 says that under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Simeon enters the temple, and lo and behold, Mary and Joseph walk in holding little baby Jesus. Now, Mary and Joseph weren't just taking a stroll through the temple uh, with with their newborn baby. The end of verse 27 says that they were there to do for Jesus according to the custom of the law. Now, we won't get into it too much, but... In Jewish law, there were a lot of rituals and customs that had to be performed after childbirth, especially for a firstborn son. You can read all about that in Luke 2, 22 through 24, or you can go even further back all the way to Leviticus 12 to see where those laws were originally written. But in any case, that's what brought Mary and Joseph to the temple. Uh, These were faithful Jews, and these Jewish parents wanted to be faithful to God's law with their newborn son. And it seems like a strange detail, but it's a very important detail to Luke, because without it, well, verses 29 through 32 couldn't be true. Verses 29 through 32 are Simeon's song as he witnesses the very first Christmas. Imagine you are lying in a hospital bed. You've been there for a little while now, a good amount of time has passed, and uh, you've been waiting for an update from your doctor. Finally, that doorknob turns. Your doctor walks in with a, a somber face, and he delivers to you the news that you only have a few days left to live. What's your response? I know the general age range in here Uh, probably doesn't think too much about their own death, and especially not during Christmas time. But if you would, try to imagine your gut reaction. What thoughts would flood your mind when you heard that news? What emotions would overcome you? Well, for Simeon, his heart was full of peace. Read verses 28 and 29. Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
You see, for Simeon, Christmas was something like the beginning of the end, at least for his life on earth. Because with the arrival of baby Jesus, God's promise to Simeon had been fulfilled, and now he could die at any moment. And Simeon was well aware of that. In fact, some of the the first words that come off his mouth in verse 29 speak about his own death. That's what he means in verse 29 when he uses the word depart. It's a euphemism that means to die, to depart from this world. And so as the the reality of death looms over Simeon, for the first time in probably a little while, all Simeon can think about is peace. Peace. What's what's going on here? How can a man have have a heart that is overflowing with peace as he looks death in the eyes? Well, it's because he's also looking salvation in the eyes. Look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon had, had peace in death because he knew that he was holding life in his arms. And not only life for him, but life for the whole world. Look at verse 31. Salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Salvation in Christ is not a private affair. It's not just for Simeon. It's public. It's global. It's, it's worldwide. And if you don't believe me, well, just look around. There's people in this room from a hundred different places, far and distant lands like Sacramento. But, but seriously, I mean, we have international students here. There's families here from Asia and Europe. We have people from the East Coast and the West Coast, and we're all in this room talking about the gospel, talking about salvation. Salvation is prepared, made ready for the whole world. And that's what verse 32 explains. Look there with me. Verse 32, Simeon inserts two clauses that, that explain what he meant in verses 30 and 31. It's kind of like uh, if, if we say, you know, I go, to a, I go to Grace Community Church, a church in Sun Valley. Uh, that, that second phrase is what verse 32 says. It's an additional comment that describes and explains more about what's happening in verse 30. Well, in that additional comment, in that explanatory comment, Simeon calls salvation a light for revelation to the Gentiles. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. We love lights around Christmas time. Um, It's kind of a strange phenomenon, if you think about it, that when Christmas comes, people just spend hours and hours wrapping their homes in lights and their mantles in lights and their trees in lights. And uh, There was one time I saw a car driving down the street wrapped in Christmas lights. I don't know how it worked, but it was kind of cool. but it's strange, it's a weird phenomenon, but after studying this passage, uh, I'm for it. I'm, I'm convinced it's biblical, because Christmas is all about light. Christmas is all about light, specifically a light for revelation to the Gentiles. See, this is where Simeon's peace in God's salvation becomes our peace in God's salvation, even in the face of death. Because Jesus Christ reveals to everyone who God is. 
Turn with me to Isaiah 49.6. Isaiah 49.6. In calling Jesus a light for revelation, Simeon is actually quoting this passage from Isaiah 49, verse 6. Let's read it together. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nation that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You see, before Jesus arrived, God's revelation was primarily to his people, Israel. But now, with Christ, a light has shone, and the darkness that the whole world had been sitting in for years and years and years has been illuminated. This is what Jesus means in John 14 when he says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because Jesus shows us who God is. And that's the best news, because 30 years from from this moment in Luke 2, Jesus would demonstrate who God is. Jesus would show the grace and the justice and the love and the mercy of God by dying on a cross for sinners. This is why the light of Jesus brings us peace. Because it shows that God is working to reconcile sinners to himself. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Now, in offering salvation to the world, God doesn't forget about his people Israel either. And that's what Sibian notes in the, the last phrase of verse 32. He says, it's light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, light and glory are sim- similar, but they are not synonymous. Uh, light speaks to something like revelation, whereas Glory speaks to something like declaration. If light is showing or explaining something, glory is shouting something. So so Jesus' arrival is glory for Israel because Jesus isn't only a sacrifice. He's also a king. In saving sinners, both Jews and Gentiles, Jesus is building his kingdom. And this is a big deal Because the Jews have had a rough history, to put it lightly. World superpowers like Babylon and Assyria had almost extinguished them from the face of the earth. They lost their land, they lost their families, they lost their jobs, they lost their places of worship. It was not a glorious state. But when God himself, the, the true king of Israel, arrived... Well, the kingdom of Israel would be overflowing with glory, shouting from the rooftops the the greatness and the majesty and the salvation of God. The only thing is that it wasn't a kingdom for this earth. It wasn't an earthly kingdom. Jesus is building a kingdom full of sinners saved by grace, Jew and Gentile. We are all one in Christ. God never forgot about Israel Uh, Jesus is their salvation, but God's salvation was just far more generous, far more gracious than any of us could have imagined. It's a global offer for salvation that leads to everlasting peace for anybody who would believe. 
And that's why the obedient beginning of Jesus in that temple is so important. Because only he could fulfill the law that we couldn't. And therefore, only he can save us from our sins. And Christmas is God's salvation. And for Simeon, even though it meant he could die any day, his heart was full of peace. In GOC, our, our death is no more imminent than Simeon's was in this moment. It can truly happen at any time. Uh, we're all about to go home, probably, for the holidays, and I truly, sincerely do wish you safe travels when you go back home, but none of that is in our control. None of us can control safe travels. But if you understand what Christmas means, if you understand that Jesus offers peace with God, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can have peace in the face of death. As I said earlier, Christmas does have some fine print. Salvation and peace and hope is certainly the bold font of Christmas, but there is an essential detail that we cannot miss out on. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, but that is not all he came to do. Because Christmas is salvation for some, but exposure for others. Our third point is that for some, Christmas reveals a heart of unbelief in God's Son. A heart of unbelief in God's Son. And we see that in verses 33 through 35. Let's read that together. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Well, in verse 33, Mary and Joseph are understandably in awe of the incredible truths that Simeon just explained, that their baby boy is the salvation of the world left their jaws on the floor. And then Simeon delivers the fine print. Yes, your, your son is the hope of the world, but verse 34, he's also appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. One pastor concisely says it this way, Jesus saves and he divides. Simeon turns directly to Mary and says, your baby boy is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, but he is also a crossroads. Many in Israel will not only rise, but also fall because of him. You see, Jesus would go on to identify himself as the true King of Kings. He would go on to identify himself with Yahweh, Israel's eternal and sovereign God. And some would look at him and hear him and believe him. And they would rise to the heights of joy and peace and hope in that salvation. But others would call him a blasphemer. Others would call Jesus a criminal. And some would mock him and spit him 
and spit on him and beat him. Some would, would cheer as nails were driven through his hands so that he would suffocate there hanging on a cross. This is the, the opposition that verse 34 speaks of. See, Jesus acted as a sign pointing to God. He is the way to God, the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life, as we heard earlier. No one comes to the Father except through him. And because of that claim, they hung Jesus on a cross. Simeon continues to speak directly to Mary and says that a sword will pierce her soul as Jesus experiences this opposition. And the imagery is is unmistakable and, and understandable. As Mary watches her baby boy grow up, there will come a day of such sorrow for her. A day of such agony that it can only be described as a sword piercing through her soul. Because her little baby boy will be beaten and bloodied and in excruciating pain on that cross. Why? Well, for one, so that you and I wouldn't have to. Jesus hung there so we wouldn't have to. He he endured the death that we deserved for our sin, but that's not all. Look at the very end of verse 35. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, Christmas and all its implications is a crossroads for your heart. For some, it means faith and hope and peace and joy, relief, salvation. But for others, it only exposes the condition of your heart and condemns you before God. For some, it means that we have peace with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. But for others, it reveals a heart of unbelief in who Jesus says He is. This Christmas passage, Luke 2, 25-35, calls for you to make a decision. Do you believe that Jesus is who the Bible says He is, or do you not? There's no room for indifference here. Uh, This little baby boy is a fork in the road for the whole entire world. Knowing that the true Christmas story always reveals something about your heart. Is it a heart of faith in God? Is it a heart of peace with God? Or is it a heart of unbelief in God? That there's no way that Jesus was actually God. There's no way that Jesus actually rose from the dead. That's ridiculous. Uh, what, what thoughts are being revealed in your heart right now? Uh, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, come for us? Or do you not? Do you oppose Him? Is He a liar? Is He crazy? Is He just a good teacher? You see, Christmas brings salvation, but also opposition. Brings hope, but also division. Who Jesus is, according to Christmas, is where Christianity diverges from every other world religion. It's where every Christian diverges from the world. 
Jesus Christ, is he the Son of God or not? What does Christmas, what does the message of Christmas reveal about your heart? About a week ago, I was in Sacramento visiting my family for Thanksgiving. And it was great. I, I got to spend a ton of time with, with people that I love, um, and, and it was awesome. Uh, but one night stuck out in particular, and I think it will probably remain in my memory until the day that I die. It was a Sunday evening, and my parents wanted to take Erica and I out for dinner. So we got in the car, and we drove uh, down the street, and we were leaving the neighborhood. And as we were leaving, we saw an ambulance in front of a house. And as soon as that ambulance came into the view, um, my dad's voice got very, very urgent. He got very concerned uh, because my dad had lived in this neighborhood for pretty much his whole life. And he knew the person in that house. In fact, it was the, the parents of one of his best friends growing up. It was in his wedding. And my dad was very concerned, and, and as we drove past, I could see through the back window of the ambulance, an older gentleman laying down there in the gurney. Short gray hair, kind of scruffy facial hair, had a, had a blue v-neck on. And he looked concerned. He didn't look like he was in pain. He didn't look uh, like he was necessarily scared, but he looked concerned and, and confused. And so we got on with our night. We had dinner, and, and just two days ago, uh, my, my mom texted me that that older gentleman passed away. And I don't know him. I, I never knew him. I never met him. But I can only imagine what he was thinking. Because Thanksgiving was just a, a few days before. And he was probably looking forward to Christmas. He was probably looking forward to spending time with family just like he did in, in Thanksgiving. He's probably looking forward to that Christmas season, and I can't help but think, was he waiting and looking forward to Christmas in the same way that Simeon was? Because instead of seeing his family, instead of seeing old friends, this older gentleman saw Jesus Christ. This older gentleman passed from this earth, and with his own two eyes, he beheld Christ. And he learned that this Christ was exactly who the Bible says he was. Every single heart, this, this older gentleman's heart, my heart, your heart, every single heart is exposed by the message of Christmas. And every single heart must prepare him room because whether or not we want him to, Jesus will, will excavate our hearts. And he will show us what is inside. And unless we have placed our faith in him so that we can have peace with God, the revelation of our hearts will show us that we are opposed to Jesus. So I plead with you and I urge that you don't waste another moment. In faith, I, I ask that you would prepare room in your heart so that the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings can rule.